Welcome to Leveraging Leadership, where we unpack the art of business leadership. I'm your host, Emily Sander, C-suite executive turned leadership coach. Lori, how are you? What's been good in your week? Uh, it's only Tuesday and it's it's been great so far. <laughs> I'm great. How are you, Emily? I'm doing great. That's true. Like yesterday and today have been going great so far. So we'll we'll give two thumbs up there. Yeah, I've got um, Friday off. So I'm I'm taking my niece yeah. to see a pink concert. So I'm excited about <gasps> wow. uh, yeah. So pretty excited about this Friday trip. But yeah. Oh my gosh. Pink's been around for a while because I loved her in high school Does that date me yeah i've yeah dates me as well i think i was in high school too when yeah. she first broke on me. the scene I'm, i think i may have been in university so let's <laughs> myself even more <laughs> yeah she stood the test of time though i, I still love her song so that's i've awesome. seen her before she's really that trifecta like Ain't she's she? got oh she's an acrobat she's an entertainer she can dance and she can sing and she does it all at once oh my gosh really impressive yeah Wow. The only other person I've met, and I use that term loosely, is Hugh Jackman, because uh, we saw him on Broadway, and he was a triple threat as well. He could sing, he could dance, and he could act. And it was awesome. I'm like, you're just a talented person. And it's like Wolverine dancing on stage. This is amazing. Right? Right? (laughs) And and some of them can do all three, but Mm -hmm. to do them all at once... That's a whole other ball game. Yeah. Yeah. So So looking forward to that for sure. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, how, so we have a a large topic today of like talent engagement, but to get people started, how did you get into this? What, when did this become important to you? Uh, Okay. Interesting. I actually, I think I've always been very passionate about helping people um, be happier wherever they are whether it be, you know, just in their social circles at school, when I was in high school, even at, and then of course that translated to the workplace when I, when I eventually started my career. And so for 21 years, I worked for the same organization. Uh, It happened to be a government uh, organization as well. Uh, Being the person that I am and wired as I am, I don't understand why I stuck around for 21 years. Well, I now understand after years of research uh, and and really deep diving into what drives motivation. I do understand why I stuck around. However, uh, I, I ended up feeling very stuck in my career. And I would say that was at about three years into my job. So um, for, for a very long time, as I was growing my family, it was convenient to be able to have a job that was mm-hmm. pretty much effortless. I knew it inside and out. I could go there. Uh, basically, sadly to say, that was my checkout. I would I would check out so I could be an uber present at home and be this, you know, okay. really great present parent. So that was my my happy medium, if you will. But as the kids grew, grew older, I realized that, okay, I'm not going to be sticking around here till retirement. Unless they're able to offer me opportunities. And at the time, unfortunately, I worked in a very rural part of um, the province where I live. And I was in a satellite office. And there was like this unspoken rule that if you live in a satellite and work in a satellite office, then you can't be applying to other positions unless you're willing to relocate. Relocation wasn't an option for me. So I ended up staying stuck in that career for way longer than I should have. Um, At about the 15-year mark, I started to plan my exit strategy, went back to school, finished my postgraduate in HR management, labor relations. Uh, I was actually working within, you know, HR strategic roles within government and then trying to understand what if I marry that with just the most recent trends and 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 theories and processes, procedures by going back to school, I marry that and I start consulting on the side, which is exactly what I ended up doing. Uh, started consulting on the side and realizing that I could create happier workplaces 
for people outside my workplace uh, because I had clearly been trying to do it within my own workplace <laughs> years now and I was seeing no uptake. So I thought, you know what, let's move this outside my workplace and help create happier workplaces for others. And lo and behold, within the first, I, I was consulting on the side while I was still working full time within the first two years I no longer had any vacation left and I had like eight weeks uh, because I was spending it all working on projects and I no longer had a life in the evening or the weekends because I was working on projects. So I thought maybe there's enough here for this to become a full-time gig. Yeah. I took a year of leave without pay and just to test it out. And within the first three months, I was so busy. I had to hire help. So I knew that I did not have to. Here I am, uh, you know, three years later, uh, just still living the dream and being able to help other people be happier at work. That's amazing. Yeah. Happier at work. Good for you. That's like your life goal. Make other people happier wherever they are at. That's a good, that's a good life goal, right? I feel like it's a pretty sound one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tried and true. Yeah. Um, so when you were in that satellite office, how did you, did you have a pulse on how all your other team members were feeling or how did you kind of keep a pulse on that? See, that's that is one of the problems mm. is that they didn't have the systems. This is, we have to be on it, like to be, to be fully transparent. This is pre pandemic. So I was working teleworking essentially, but from a satellite office before it was even a thing. Mm-hmm. And so, but where our organization failed is they didn't equip the leadership to understand how to manage across the miles, how to ensure that that person in the satellite office, because it was a reality of many of our offices, they all had satellites. Um, how do you ensure that everybody's feeling connected? How do you facilitate those connections? And even more so when there's that geography between them, you need to spend a bit more time making sure you're helping them connect and you're facilitating those connections and that everybody feels included. But instead, some of the, the, the realities I would have was, oh, we talked about this at the meeting yesterday. And I'd be like, meeting? And they're like, oh, we forgot to call you. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. So that made me feel awesome. Yeah. <laughs> right. And this happened pretty consistently, unfortunately. Uh, and, and for them, it was out of sight, out of mind. And it was completely innocent. But the impact and how it made me feel unseen, unheard, and undervalued mm. was 100% there. Mm. Right? So yeah. that resentment started to accumulate early on. And it, it just kept piling on over time where it got to the point where when they did start to see that I was shopping around, I had an exit strategy. They knew I was back in school. They suddenly started to offer me these opportunities that, you know, at the 17 year mark, they suddenly had all these opportunities for me. But for at that point, it was too little too late. So that's what I, I work with organizations to number one, identify those who, as I refer to them, are already in shopping mode, which For your listeners, one in four of your current employees in today's labor market are already eyeing that exit door and they're shopping around. So know how to identify them and then make them fall back in love with you. I always use the analogy analogy of that teenager in love. Romantic, yeah. Well, you know, when you suddenly had fallen out of love and all you could see were the flaws Mm -hmm. and all you can can think about, you wanted to break up with this, this person because all I see is the flaws. Well, you know that that checked out employee, that quiet quitter to use a newly coined uh, old phenomenon term um, is is in that mode. They're, they're, that's how they're operating and that's the angle they're operating from. So you need to be very strategic and intentional to help them 
start to fall back in love, if you will, or feel happier, more motivated at work. It is doable. You have to court them again. You have to woo them again. Good life lessons and professional ones. So if if someone's listening and says, okay, like I I I buy what Lori is saying. How do I do that? What are some easier, you know, more simple ways to do it? I don't have a lot of budget. I don't have a lot of whatever, but I do want to get a pulse on my my employees. You know what? It is 100% doable. It is a low to no cost. We'll use some very specific strategies and examples as we move forward in this conversation. But basically, there's 10 needs that need to be met at work for someone to feel fulfilled. It's as easy as that. If you're meeting those 10 needs, honestly, if you're meeting... 70% of those 10 needs, then you're ahead of most organizations. And you're going to have, as a result, a a much more fulfilled employee is, you know, really working hard to to, to advance the broader organizational purpose. Um, So let's talk, obviously, in the time we've got, we can't deep dive into all 10 of those needs, but I'll mention the more popular ones. And for your listeners, they've probably already heard this. They want to, they want communication. They want to be in the know. They need information to flow. They need to be provided with the information they need to do their jobs. And they need to know that they have an opportunity to communicate upwards. It needs to flow 360. So they can talk with their, their higher ups, their leaders, and, and share their observations, their insights, um, and their opinions safely. And then the um, the manager as well as senior management keep them in the know by telling them this is the kind of stuff we're working on. This is what went, what went really well in the past quarter. Here are some lessons learned, and here's where we need to be focusing a lot of our energy and resources in the upcoming quarter. Wow, wonderful! Go and I'll just jump in there. Yeah, it's so good because uh, I would say even if you have an employee talk to you and you're not and you don't take their idea, you don't end up taking you know their course of action, even giving them the opportunity to have their voice heard and truly heard, not just like, yes, I'm going to give you some time to talk, but no, I'm going to actually listen and consider your idea. And if we can't do it, we can't do it. Um, That's one thing. And uh, the other way you were talking about, which is, hey, I'm a leader and I'm privy to these conversations. Let me communicate the relevant information to people beneath me, in quotes. It's also like the bad news. Like, it's not going to be sunshine and roses all the time, but you got to communicate the bad news. Do it, do it delicately do it in a professional, helpful way, but that's part of your job as well. So yeah, communication. It truly is. Perfect example of that one. I was speaking, I was coaching one of my leaders uh, yesterday. Yesterday was Monday, right? Oh, well, yeah, yesterday. And um, she was saying how she she was very frustrated because um, they're currently undergoing a transition. Uh, They've been recently acquired by a larger company. Mm -hmm. And the amount of information that she can give to her team about, for example, a restructure that's going to be happening, right. which is inevitable with any merger and acquisition. Um, the amount of information she can give them is quite minimal. And so she's like, I know they're frustrated. So instead, I'm trying to shield, I'm trying to shield everything that's coming my way. And then, you know, so I'm just avoiding their questions. I'm just not answering their emails. <laughs> and I was like, how do you think that might be landing with them? She's like, well, Lori, I'm just as frustrated as they are. Like I'm so frustrated and so angry because I sometimes feel like we're not thinking this through. And I said, how do you think they're feeling? And she's like, oh, I know they're angry. They've told me. I'm like, Mm. but have they told you, have you given them the opportunity to talk about that a bit more? And have you told them that you're also angry from from an empathy perspective? Imagine how impactful that would be for them to understand that, oh my God, even our leader is being a bit 
shaken by this whole situation. So it's normal for us to feel a bit off kilter. Right. She was like, yeah, I guess so. She's like, but I can't tell them. I'm like, even if you can't tell them, you ask for, you talk about their fears, you know more. So maybe you can do a bit of myth busting. Maybe there's some unfounded fears that you can right away take off their plate. And maybe if not, you can say, you know what? That's some really great feedback. I'm going to feel it up. Can't promise anything, guys. But at the very least, let's make sure that they hear about how you're feeling about all this. Yeah, I love that myth busting piece because sometimes sometimes it's not appropriate to share information. So you always have to have healthy boundaries and balance things out. But what you were talking about was you can be a human in all these circumstances so you can say like hey that is really frustrating or like i i that makes me mad too um and you can say that while still being professional and being a leader and all of those things absolutely absolutely because if you if you leave them to you know you keep them in the dark um and, and you leave them in the dark then they're going to run rampant with their own theories and many of which may be conspiracy driven like they, they, they're going to be bigger than what they actually what is actually going down so if you're able to give them as much so i actually proposed shifting away from a shield to a filter mm-hmm. you still need to be giving them some information but just filter it a bit take away the the the, the unknown or the stuff that's likely to change to not cause unwarranted panic and then filter down and dilute some information. Yeah. If any, you have to give them something. I like the, I use the word buffer, but filter is a good one too, which is like, don't be a sieve. Like it goes straight through. Cause like all the information yeah. probably isn't going to be relevant nor helpful to every single person. Um, but you don't want to make it so they don't feel informed. And the one thing I'll add before we move on, but I just love this topic is um, if no one is saying anything to you, so I've had clients who are like, I, I think I'm doing fine because no one's complaining. Th- just because they're not telling you doesn't mean they're not thinking about it and coming up with stories and ruminating about it over and over with you know, their own head, with their family and friends outside of work, with coworkers when you're not in the room. So exactly. addressing And that could be completely it. toxic. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So from a com- communication perspective too, just to add one last uh, little example before we, we leave, think about your first day jitters when you're starting on the job right? Um, Any work I do with an organization, I help them map out their current state, employee experience. Like how is an employee experiencing employment within your organization or your company today? And and I get them talking from how are you talking, how are you attracting that next generation? How are you performing interviews and that whole recruitment process? What does your onboarding look like? What does your orientation look like? What is your training once they're fully trained? How do you continue to develop them? How do you performance manage them? How are you checking engagement? And all the way through to exit. Okay. So that's how I follow. That's the kind of the timeline that we start with to understand the baseline. And then we improve and optimize every one of those kind of key milestone moments or key touch points throughout that journey, that employee journey, where you're likely to start losing people, where they are likely they've already got one foot or one hand on the handle to check out. So the perfect example is your day one. So many organizations, uh, their onboarding is once they sign that offer letter, they tell them where to show up on day one. <laughs> yep. That for me tells me the level of information I can expect when I get, I start with that company. I've worked with, uh, sorry, I've worked with clients who had these, these, these like ghosting employees <laughs> from the time they would sign the offer. They just wouldn't show up for day one. And this was kind of a regular occurrence or they would leave within the first two weeks. 
only when I started to have them hash out the level of information they're providing and they're facilitating the flow or to which extent they're not, which is essentially mm-hmm. the issue. Um, did they start to uncover that? Oh my God, it's because we're setting them up for failure. We need to set them up for success. So I always recommend two weeks before you start, set, after they've accepted the, the offer letter, HR sends them uh, an email with, here's an FAQ that of all the different questions we often get from new hires. Here's our website. If you want to learn a bit more about the work we do, here's a video of what to expect as you're you're navigating your new role. And give them as much information as you can, but in small manageable bites, so it's not overwhelming. But at the same time, they have the option. Not everybody's going to want to read through and watch everything. Fine. But if you, do, you are one of those people who crave having more information than none, then certainly you're going to be looking at it. Then a week before saying, hey, can you give us three lines? We want to, we want to introduce you to the team. Give us three lines that you'd like to share with your team and you'd like for them to know about you. And we'll, we'll formulate our intro for you based on that and help them inform that process. And then on the Friday before they start, the manager sends an email and says, hey, super excited for you to start on Monday. Just a little reminder. Here's where you can show up. Looking forward to meeting you and introducing you to the team. Three emails costs absolutely nothing. But in terms of feeling like you're already a part of a team and facilitating and accelerating that integration, game changing. Yeah, I love that. And we had, so when new hires would join uh, a company I worked at, we would gather three fun facts, like just fun, like weird, you know, random facts. Mm-hmm. And we put them in a Slack channel. And then people had a conversation start like, oh, like you like, I don't know, lizards or Legos or whatever too. Like, okay, like join us for D&D down in the whatever. There was just the conversation starter and a point of of connection where people could start getting a sense of this person. So that was hugely helpful. We also just had, we didn't have a lot of budget, but we would put like a, a little bit of swag on their desk this is pre-covid where it's like their name with a thing so it's like here's your desk with your name which means the world to people so like little tiny really does no it really does i worked with a client when we started to hash out their orientation and their onboarding um there were horror stories including (laughs) arriving at a a desk and there were pre-chewed pens from the former owner and to throw out all of the former Mm. owners food and and papers from the desk like how welcoming right? Yeah. How welcoming is that? It's very welcoming. This isn't rocket science, folks. It's really just about creating that highly engaging experience before they even start with you. And and so communication, huge one, obviously. That's often a complaint on the employee uh, satisfaction surveys, right? We nobody tells us anything. We're in the dark all the time. They're not very transparent. Okay, got it. That's an easy fix. Lots we can be doing at every level of that employee experience. Um, Another popular one, leadership, obviously. People don't leave bad jobs. They leave bad bosses. Cliched, but true. Um, We've heard it all over. It truly is. You need to make sure you're setting your leadership team up for success. Being the most competent, technical person does not translate into you being a great people leader. You need to provide them the training and the skills development in order to set them up for success in leading their people. So that's an, another popular, and that is a need. You need to feel supported at work. You need to feel coached and empowered to step into your potential as an employee. Well, who's responsible for doing all that? Your leaders. So <laughs> sure that we're actually training them to do that. Yeah. Gotcha. And then once they come on board, so let's say you have a fantastic onboarding process, and then employees have maybe a honeymoon phase, right? It's like, oh, this is the greatest job ever. And people are so welcoming and da, 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 da. And then they kind of settle into whatever you want to call it, like, I don't like the word maintenance, but, you know, kind of you're not the new 
new hire. It's not the honeymoon phase anymore. What are some ways that organizations and leaders can continue to keep their people engaged ongoing? So, so let's speak of two other needs. Growth, right? Mm -hmm. Knowing that I have room to grow, that where I am today is not where I need to be in three years, as well as learning and development. So two other needs that I've just kind of, so let's talk about those. Once they're fully trained, you're not done. Once they're fully integrated, you're not done. You need to continue telling and showcasing to them where it is they could grow within this company and then developing some very specific um, time, like time-bound plans to grow and level up to get them prepared for that next role and to help them grow within their existing role. As technology evolves, you're investing in different training development. And that, you know, the one tool that they can use to start to map that out and understand it better is, of course, your performance development plan. And use that powerful exercise, not as an evaluation. I hate language like appraisal or evaluation because it makes it sound so disciplinary. What that process is intended to be is a process to help them shape their growth and development within the organization over the next few years or few months, at least initially. And there's been studies about why people stay at organizations, and it's not compensation, and it's not title. It's, are they growing and learning? So in the category you just mentioned. So like, think about it. If you like, I don't have budget. I like, we're, we're trying to, you know, cut costs. You can give people opportunities to grow and progress. By the way, you should communicate um, so you understand what is important to them. So like, oh, yeah. I know Emily is interested in this and this part of her job aligns well with it. Let me give her some growth opportunities to be in this meeting or work on this project or maybe exactly there's a LinkedIn learning or what, anything, like anything because people who feel invested in will be very loyal and stay uh, for growth opportunities. Absolutely. That's why I left. They weren't investing in my growth and development. They were doing all this training, but it was like checkbox training. Like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. we we we've centered to a strategic communication training. We've invested in you, Lord. <laughs> but you know, you're still in that satellite office, so don't think we're gonna bring you anywhere else or you're gonna have any room to grow with with this new training, right? So making sure that you're diversifying the training, exposing them to some leadership meetings that not everyone is entitled to attend. That's huge. That's a developmental opportunity. Assigning them to a special working group or task force that's going to have a broader impact because purpose and impact is another one of those 10 needs, uh, knowing that they're they're making a difference. So being able to assign them these special assignments, these special projects within the scope of their operational capabilities, obviously, uh, but to provide them the opportunity to stretch a bit because they continuously need to be stretching and evolving. I had one client who his organization, he wanted people to learn and have um, access to different departments, which I thought was great. But he and he was very transparent. He was willing to be very transparent. But for the finance piece, he had them take a little course. So like a little course that happened every month, it was half day, you could sign up for it to understand financial reports. So when they showed you the PL, when they showed you the, you know, everything um, to do with the financial forecast, you understood what you were seeing. And once Mm -hmm. you kind of passed that quiz or pass that uh, uh, class, you were able to then go to the monthly, here's our numbers, here's how the teams are doing, here's how the company's doing. Um, But people love that. They're like, I will learn, I will take the quiz, I'll study for it because I want to learn that piece. So I'm able to go to that meeting and get further information about how we're doing financially and how I fit into that from a, a financial perspective. So I thought that was a great example of what you're talking about as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like if they were wanting to like expose them to different jobs, different departments, there was job rotation happening, uh, maybe some mentorship, maybe some job shadowing, just so they get a better glimpse of what they could grow into and, and how they fit into that bigger picture. I love it. And I've mentioned this before, but we did brown bag lunches where it's just like someone from marketing got up and talked about like the what the marketing department does and what they're up to today. And then people would eat their lunch, they eat free food and, you know, learn about a different department. And that would rotate. So people all across the company got a chance to learn. It wasn't mandatory, but people who wanted to go um, got to learn about that. So that's and another that's great piece, right? Yeah, absolutely. Just set up the opportunities because that's also how you're going to start to identify some of your high potentials. Mm-hmm. That You're going to start to notice who's participating in these <laughs> Who's putting themselves out there? Who's stretching a bit? Those are the people you want to invest, you know, more into because they are likely those who would be well suited for those leadership positions within the organization as a succession plan. Yeah. Take tabs of who's there. There was, I remember, I won't say his name, but there was one guy who's like, I'm just here for the free food. And I'm like, got it. Okay. Thank you. So every month you would come just for the free lunch, but that's fine. That's fine too. There's still your facilitating connection between teammates, <laughs> right? You're still, you're, you're keeping people apprised of what's happening from one department to the next. And in doing so, although they might not recognize that he might think he's there for the free food, I guarantee that that next decision he has to make, he will apply that. Like, how is this likely to impact in light of what I heard during my free food lunch? <laughs> how is this likely to impact that department if I make this decision? Yep. So it's really feeding that critical thinking ability as an organization um, as a whole, right? I was hopeful it was osmosising into him just by being yes. in that room. Something was getting through. So, so awesome. So you gave us a kind of a taster t- uh, teaser test for these these ten elements. Um, you've also written a book, which I think is going to be probably live by the time we air this. So can you tell us a little bit about that and what that covers? Okay. Um, so yeah, I did write a book. I'm not sure if this is going to be in video for, so the happiness factor, how to create a positive and productive workplace. Basically it's, I found so much out there throughout all my years of research of what drives motivation at work, what helps an employee feel fulfilled. But what I couldn't find is now what, what do I do about it? How do I operationalize this information? Super insightful, but how do I actually start to fix my existing culture. So I decided to write the book on it because I couldn't find it. So I was like, you know what? Let's just write the book on it. That's a good reason to write a book. Yeah. So the book actually deep dives into all 10 of those needs. And in each chapter that's each need is dedicated, has a dedicated chapter. I'll talk about how to provide more for that need at all of these key touch points uh, during, you know, recruitment, onboarding selection, how to provide more for that need once they're fully trained, how, what can you continue to do to be able to continue providing that need and satisfying that need all the way through to exit interviews? So I talk about that. And then I talk about the 3M approach, which is a highly, you know, simple yet effective approach of mapping, first M. So mapping out your current state and understanding what, what experience you're currently offering, then measuring, figuring out your employee satisfaction and how, how you're actually doing today. So understanding how that existing that existing state or that existing employee experience is landing with your people, as well as starting to gather some continuous improvement data at, during the, the measuring stage. 
And then mobilize is let's divide and conquer and, and improve on it. And at the end of every chapter, there's a happiness factor action plan. So they can jot down three ideas and I've made them full page. So if they want to jot down more than three ideas, three some action items, by the time they're done the book, they've got a pretty fulsome action plan to the very next day start implementing within their organization. And you've got some ideas or prompts in there for them. They're not coming up with those on their own. No. Yeah. They're yeah. all in there. That's what I'm saying. If you read mm-hmm. something and you're like, oh my God, that's that so yeah. We can totally do that. I'm gonna add that to my action plan. Gotcha. Oh my god, we we I could operationalize this tomorrow. I can get my, you know, I don't know, my my managers to start doing that and it would already start to improve on that. Okay, let's do that. Let's hit yeah. the easy button. Boom. Yeah. This is the easy button to transform. <laughs> there you go. There, I just did an ad for your book. That's a good one. Just out of curiosity, <laughs> in that employee life cycle, the onboarding, the kind of the the ongoing piece and then the exit piece, which which phase is most neglected in your experience? My experience, onboarding and orientation. Okay, really? A lot. Wow. Lately, because there's such high turnover. Yeah. Because it's a, it's a job seekers market and the turnover is so crazy high that I feel like they're in this constant survival mode that they don't have time to be really strategic on how they bring people in and how they set them up for success because it's kind of become a revolving door. So they're just constantly, but if they don't recognize that if they'd spend time creating that highly engaging and helping to plant and cultivate that seed of loyalty during that crucial phase, that when something happens, once they're fully trained and, and when there are challenges or they're not quite as satisfied, that foundation, they're a lot more, you know, likely to endure because you have really no, but they'll be more resilient to that change, understanding that, oh, we're here for a broader purpose, you know, you know, this is temporary. They'll be much more tolerant as you're trying to adapt the rest of that employee experience. So. I never thought of it that way because I always we all, we always emphasize the onboarding process, so that was pretty solid. But I felt like oh, they kind of fall off after that honeymoon period's over. Um, but I never thought about it how you just said, which is you you've built up you know a, a reservoir of resilience or kind of a reservoir of goodwill, um, which which gives you a little bit of time. But you should still be doing things ongoing. Oh, you still do. and I mean honestly, yeah. a lot of organizations that next phase after the honeymoon phase is also neglected. Where <laughs> you know what. You're you're trained now, just perform. Yeah. We're good. And then they just performance manage instead of actually continuing to yeah. we made you them. feel good. We made you feel welcome. Now do your yeah, job. That was, yeah, exactly. So yeah. so I think I think there's depending on the clients, I've seen misses. Oh, sorry, let's go neglect exit exit is like the most underutilized <laughs> gold mine of mm-hmm. continuous data. Like none of them do exit interviews. If they do, it's like one format only. So hopefully that individual, that departing individual is comfortable with a one-on-one talk with their direct manager and they've, they're mm-hmm. feeling they ended in that moment. Right. So they don't, they don't multiply the approach. Like with learners, you need to give them the option for a one-on-one an option for an anonymous survey or an option of, you know, like talking to HR instead of your manager. So you can be completely candid. The multi- If you multiply the different formats that it's presented in, then you're optimizing the likelihood of it becoming quite candid and valuable because that's where you're going to hear right. what motivated their departure. And honestly, if you do that well, you are going to keep your brand intact because they're going to leave and be like, wow, they actually took my ideas. Cared cared. And maybe I'm actually leaving because of nothing that happened internally. But the fact that you performed it that well, 
once I'm done going to check out what's elsewhere, I think I might be coming back to you just because of the way that you exited me. Mm. That's valuable too. Great points. Okay. And if people want to know more about you or get in, in touch with you, where do they find you? They can check out, I'm on LinkedIn for sure, but they can check out our website. Uh, they're welcome to book a free discovery meeting with us. There's a link right when they land. It is www.bepeoplepowered.com. So bepeoplepowered.com. Uh, and right when they land, there's that book a discovery call and we will gladly have a meeting with them and, and talk to them about uh, some of their, their pain points or whatever they want to chat about. Sounds great. We'll have that all in the show notes. And can you spell your last name for people? D-U-G-U-A-Y? Yes. It's French. Okay. (laughs) It's French. All right. It is. I'm French. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much, Laurie. This has been great and really useful information for people. So I appreciate you sharing. Thank you, Emily. Always nice chatting. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, share and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 